All right. Watch your P's and Q's, huh? Hey, we uh, we just finished chapter three, which is really uh, an amazing part on our part. It seemed like we got, <laughs> well, at least Val got stuck there, I know. Um, but there was just so much to mine that I didn't want us to miss uh, too much. Um, I think that it's interesting the way that this, uh, some scholars think that that really that there was a bad break here in chapter four, that chapter three, verse 13 through chapter four, verse 10 <coughs> really ought to be considered connected. We were dealing in, in the early part and we started kind of continue to deal with this, the, the two different kinds of wisdom that typify the two ways of life that we have to choose from. We either choose worldly wisdom or godly wisdom. And now we're going to be looking at two kinds of friendship that we have. Do we are we friends with the world, or friends with God? And uh, you know, uh, James is going to expound here on uh, two different types of spiritual friendship. Again, friendship of the world or friendship of God. He penetrates and talks about basic problems, about double-mindedness, about self-deception, and about corrective. Uh, needs that we have in order to have the right kind of faith that God wants us to have. And I think as we get started on this, I'm going to talk for just a few minutes about one of the things I find fascinating in the book of James is there is a whole series of wars that we talk about that we're involved with. Um, I don't know if you ever heard about some of these, but there are, there are wars constantly going on, and there are wars that we probably never even heard of. I know that uh, there are wars in uh, in Asia that I have no concept of. I've not never studied deeply into the whole aspect of uh, Asian conflict over the, the centuries, but I'm sure there are lots. But even here in the West, there are probably some wars that most many of us have never heard of. A any of you ever hear of the War of the Whiskers? The War of the Whiskers uh, is is kind of what led up to eventually the war of the uh, the, the hundred year war between uh, France and England. I'll tell you what happened is the king of France came back from uh, the Crusades. This is like uh, 11, uh, 1100, roughly eleven hundred and fifty, and he comes back from France. Um, Louis, it was Louis the Seventh. He uh, he had acquired a beard while he was in the Middle East fighting in the Crusades, and he happened to like his beard. His wife, on the other hand, wasn't too happy about having him having a beard, so she decides that she, if you can believe this, she was able to get a. Uh, she she demanded he, he uh, cut off the beard. He refused, so she annulled the marriage. Now, what makes this interesting is, first of all, how in the world can you annul a marriage for just not cutting off a beard? Uh, I'd be in trouble. Um, at least I would have been about 20-some years ago when I grew my beard. Because uh, at the time, my wife wasn't real happy. And then eventually, she decided that, apparently, that my beard covers a whole lot of ugly. Because she decided she didn't <laughs> keep it. So, um, but this is Eleanor of Aquina, uh, I can't remember, I can never remember how to pronounce the name, but Al Eleanor, this, she ends up marrying Henry VII, and that's how the, the English king ended up having a large portion of, uh, of France that he controlled. It's at one time, perhaps more than what the, 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 the king of France had. 
So yeah, the King of England being subject to the King of France, who wasn't all that happy about it, neither of them were happy, and that's what eventually became, uh, in 1300, the, the Hundred Year War. So the, the War of the Whiskers, as a result of uh, a wife not liking a beard. Uh, you also have the War of the Oaken Bucklet, Bucket, which uh, takes place in uh, uh, in uh, Italy, uh, I think around uh, Bologna, and uh, I'm probably getting this wrong, Giuseppe, uh, Modena, I guess, was the area. It was two city states in the 1300s. It was basically Correct. a rival. I'm sorry? Correct. Oh, good. I, I did it. I can't believe it. I got it right. Um, <laughs> there is, there's, a, they were, uh, the two city states were semi close to each other. They, they were fighting over the issue of who should be the Holy Roman Emperor, the, the new Holy Roman Emperor, and also who should be the Pope. And they each had their own ideas, and so there was a big fight over it. And eventually, there's one one story says that they were fighting over a bucket. It seems like more likely that at the end of the war, one of the cities took the bucket, and that is how it got named: was the War of the Bucket, or the Oak of the Oak Bucket. There was also another strange war you might not have ever heard of. It was called the War of Jenkins Ear. Now, this was fought between. England and Spain over New Grenada and also some of the West Indies islands there in the Caribbean. And uh, uh, a privateer, I guess, uh, Jenkins, had at some point in time been boarded by what was considered the Spanish Coast Guard of that area. They were close to one of the islands. Spain boards the ship and uh, Jenkins gets his ear uh, cut off. You know, it sounds like something out of the New Testament. By, you know, Peter with his sword, apparently a bad aim. So uh, while nothing happened for about seven years, there were those in the government of, of Britain that wanted to use this and did use it to spark a war between Spain uh, over the fact that they wanted more control in the, the Caribbean than they had. And so it's just kind of fascinating that war is a fact of life. In spite of trees, in spite of people having, you know, peace organizations, uh, in spite of uh, the threat of uh, nuclear uh, warfare, um, not only are there war between uh, nations, but there are also wars of one kind or another between people. Every level of life, there seems to be uh, wars around. You, you know, there's even been... Uh, at times, gas wars. Remember, you've seen it where you know once one gas station or two corners, two gas stations, one decides they're gonna, you know, lower the price by a nickel, and suddenly the next guy, uh, they have to lower it as well. Maybe they go down six cents or something. Okay, then they're constantly trying to to beat each other because they want to get the customers in. I'm not sure you make any money doing that, but they think they do. Maybe they're hoping they'll buy a lot of extra things that they. Uh, convenience part of the store. I don't know. But James, James talks about a, a variety of disagreements among saints. And if you will, you could classify them as wars if you want. There's class warfare. We talked about that in chapter two, you know, between the rich and the poor. The rich man gets all the attention. The poor man is ignored. You know, the rich man honored. The poor man is, is, uh, is uh, pretty much uh, disgraced, if you will. Uh, we have a problem sometimes when, when churches value uh, rich people over poor people. Uh, I'm, I'm always amazed. It seems like, and, and I guess maybe, I don't know. I, I just found it fascinating. Like, 
by the way, there's a new movie coming out, or maybe it's out, um, that deals with Tammy Faye Baker and Jim Baker. And uh, Justine, Justine, whatever her name is, the redhead gal, she's playing apparently Tammy Faye. Uh, but the the report, the, the reviews I read said it was kind of interesting. But the, the reason I thought of that was the fact that the 700 Club was not built by millionaires contributing money. It was built by the by the average Joe, by working class people that, that contributed huge amounts of money over the years, the 700 Club. Um, for all the right reasons, um, and, and some of it was used up apparently correctly, and some of it perhaps wasn't used as well as it should have been. Uh, but anyhow, we have class wars. In, in we're going to get in chapter five, which we got a long way from getting there. But in chapter five, we're going to talk about employment wars. We're going to talk about people who are in control of of the laborers and who and what the laborers owe to the people who either own them or who they work for if they're employees and employers um that goes into who has control who has power are the laborers getting the wages they deserve are they getting fair wages are, are they being cheated are they cheating their employers by not working as well as they should uh, so we have employment wars coming up we have church fights. We've already talked about this in chapter one, and again in chapter chapter uh, three. At the end, we had a church war fair. Uh, we we call it church fights. We usually don't call it a war, but isn't that kind of what happens? Is we go to war with each other over over whatever issue? Do we keep this pastor or not? Do we keep the board? Is the board being honest? Is the board telling the truth? Is the pastor telling the truth? Uh, what if we don't like a decision they make? You know, uh, do we fight? Do we not? Uh, how do we how do we how do we balance that out? What's the appropriate way of doing it? The church fights happen, and then in this passage, as we get into the rest of, of chapter four, we're going to be dealing with personal wars. This is about saints that speak evil of each other, judging one another. Um, we're told to uh, speak the truth in love in Ephesians four. And yet, uh, so often we speak evil in the spirit of, oh, I don't know, rivalry or maybe criticism. It's hard sometimes when we think someone's done something that we disagree with not to criticize them. You know, it's, it's hard when that happens. But we're told that, that, that love covers a multitude of sins, and sometimes maybe that needs to happen. So James is not forbidding us to use discretion or even evaluate people. And we're told that we have to do that. Um, I was uh, thinking of a, a passage in uh, Philippians. If you want, you can turn here. Just a couple of verses. I'll read them. This is in Philippians uh, chapter 1 and verse 9 and 10. And it says in Philippians chapter 1, verse 9, it says, and this is my prayer that your love may abound more and more in knowledge and depth of insight. Okay, notice that we'll have knowledge and insight so that you may be able to discern what is best and may be pure and blameless until the day of Christ, filled with fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. Here's the issue. We are called to be discerning. Now, here's the problem often when it comes to being discerning. We tend to take God's place in passing judgment. Uh, we, we need to be careful about doing that. Remember what Matthew chapter 7, this is in the midst of the Sermon on the Mount. 
we talk about, uh, you know, you see somebody that's got a log, the picture is a log in their eye, and you've got like a splinter or maybe a piece of sawdust in yours. And it says to first examine your own lives and get sawdust out of your eyes so you can accurately help the person that has a log in their eyes. I'm noticing as I'm getting older that sometimes my depth perception isn't quite as good as it should have been. Can you imagine if I try to take out a, a splinter out of somebody's eye and I can't tell how deep I'm going, how close I'm getting into the eye to pull it out? That could be a problem. Isn't that problem I think I think the log is actually in our eyes and the speck is in the brother's eye. Well, that could be too, yeah. Well, that's, that's, what, that's what Christ is saying. He says that yeah. why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye when you've got a log in your own? Well, that's a problem, isn't it? Yeah. That, because the, the problem is even worse on my part. And so often, what I have found often is that um, sometimes when people especially when pastors have one issue that they that they stand on and that's the issue they're constantly going back to and you can probably point to some of my issues in that regard often that's the struggle that they have in their own life mm -hmm. so um, take that as for you know for what it's worth maybe as a piece of sawdust maybe as a log especially as you start looking at me so there are problems with, with saints at war with each other. There are problems with leaders at war with each other, like church against church, fellowship against fellowship. Uh, it goes contrary to what Jesus says in chapter 17 of John. Chapter 17 of John is con it's really considered truly the, the Lord. That You want the Lord's Prayer? That's the Lord's Prayer. That's the, that's the one prayer that we have, a full, complete prayer that he prays. And in there, in, in verse 21, it says that they, meaning believers, that they all may be one as you, Father, are, and I, and me, and I, and you, that they also may be one in us, that the world may believe that you have sent me. Does the world believe that Jesus was sent by God the Father? Does the world even believe that Jesus is the Son of God? Often, maybe they don't because of a result of our failure to be at peace with one another. So we're going to talk about that as we start here. What causes fights? What causes quarrels among you? Don't they come from your own desires that battle within you? So there's a, a war with each other. What causes fights? It, Psalm 133 verse 1 says, Behold how good and pleasant it is for brethren to dwell together in unity. And I've often said it seems like that, that we that everyone knows that we're Christians by how well we fight with each other versus dwelling in unity with each other. Think about this. Lot causes a quarrel with his uncle Abraham. Fighting, no unity. Absalom creates a war with his father David. He tries to take over the kingdom. He basically overthrow, overthrows David. Creates, a, if you will, a civil war. In Second Samuel, chapters 13 through 18, the disciples create problems among themselves because they're arguing over who's going to be the greatest in the kingdom. Mm -hmm. Among other places, Luke. Think about the Corinthian church, which is where we're headed after we get through James. They are competing with each other in public meetings, even suing each other in court. Galatian believers are, are told, Paul says that they're biting and devouring one another. 
Galatians 5, Paul has to uh, admonish the Ephesians to cultivate a spirit of unity. Uh, even Philippi has a problem with two women that can't get along with each other. And Paul has to address it in, 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 the, in the, the passage, in, in, the, 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 in the book that he writes to the, to the Philippians. <coughs> so what causes fights and wars among us? Don't they come from our desires that battle within us? If you have bitter envy and strife in your hearts and glory not and lie not against the truth, for where envy and strife is, there is confusion and every evil work. Let's let's read that passage out of <clears throat> excuse me, out of uh, James chapter four. We'll read all the way through verse ten. We're not going to get there obviously today, but we'll we'll do our best to go a few verses. So what causes fights and quarrels among you? Don't they come from your desires that battle within you? You want something, but you don't get it. So you kill and covet, but you cannot have it, what you want. So you quarrel and fight. You do not have because you do, do not ask God. And when you do ask, you do, do not receive because you ask with wrong motives, that you may spend what you get on your pleasures. You adulterous people, don't you know that friendship with the world is hatred towards God? Anyone who chooses to be a friend of the world becomes an enemy of God. Or do you think the scripture says without reason that the spirit he caused to live in us envies intensely? He gives us more grace. That is why the scripture says God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. So submit yourselves then uh, to God and resist the devil and he will flee from you. Come near to God, and he will come near to you. Wash your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Grieve, mourn, and wail. Change your laughter to mourning and your joy to gloom, and humble yourselves before the Lord, and he will lift you up. We'll stop there. We're not going to even get that far. So the war in the heart is, help, that is, is what helps cause the war in churches, our war in our own hearts. I think that the biggest problem with the war is the, is the essence of sin, one writer says, is selfishness. Think about this. Eve disobeys God because she wants to eat the tree. Why? Because she wants to be like God. Abraham leads his wife, uh, lied about his wife, excuse me, lied about his wife because, why? He was selfish and wanted to save his own life. He did, did it twice. Achan causes the defeat of Israel because he selfishly took stuff that God had said, this has been ordained to be basically a sacrifice to me. That entire city was to be destroyed and burned and they were to take no, uh, nothing out of the city, no rewards, no, no booty, if you will, out of there. Because why? Because God says it's supposed to be basically a sacrifice to me. And Achan takes it. Isaiah says, we have turned everyone to his own way. We, we, we tend to, if you ever notice that we tend to, to uh, when we get into religious uh, quarrels, we disguise it and we, we talk about the fact that we're being spiritually mature. And that's why we go to war with other people. Look, look Think about this. In Exodus, or actually it was in Numbers when this happened. Uh, but the story is that Miriam and Aaron complain about Moses' wife. Really, the reality was they were envious of Moses' authority, according to Numbers chapter 12. And, and so God has to deal with that. That's your own brother and sister. 
don't like the fact that somebody's got more authority than they do. Well, after all, I'm the high priest. I ought to, people ought to listen to me more than Moses. I'm Aaron. Or, or maybe maybe we're like James and John who, who want to make sure that they get the best spot, you know, in the new kingdom when they're sitting at the table. They want to be on one on the right-hand side, one on the left-hand side. The two most important spots in at the table right next to the rabbi, right? Right next to the Lord. We want to be there. And isn't that what happens to us today is we want recognition? We don't like being off by ourselves. We, we, want, we want people to acknowledge us. Uh, is that a problem with humility, maybe? Hmm, I don't know, maybe so. Yes. Go ahead, is that? I said yes. Yes. <laughs> well, thank you for acknowledging my problems. Okay. I was collective in that yes. <laughs> you were all saying yes towards me. Okay, I appreciate that. Oh, man. So selfish desires can be rather dangerous things. You know, they often lead to wrong actions. You kill, you fight, you're at war. They even lead to the wrong kind of prayers. You ask and you don't receive because you ask with the wrong motives. Hmm. In, in this passage, thou shalt not covet. That's one of the, the last of the Ten Commandments. But it, it's... Its violation can make us break all the other nine if we're not careful. Covetousness, I can almost say that, can make a person murder, tell lies, dishonor his parents, commit adultery, uh, pretty much violate any of the other of God's moral laws. Selfish living and selfish prayers can lead to fights among Christians. If there's a fight inside you, if you're struggling with something, it's ultimately going to come out with a fight outside of you. You ever notice that? Yes. Yeah, yes. <laughs> one, one honest person out of the group. Okay. Have <laughs> you ever noticed that sometimes you, you pray uh, in such a way that you're trying to hide your true desires? You're, you're praying, you, you couch it in just the right terms, just so that you, you, you know, but I prayed about it. One of the biggest excuses that, that Christians use, you know, I prayed about it. Instead of seeking God's will, what happens is we tell him what he's supposed to do. I always tell you it's like this. If he would just listen to me, he'd find out that I was pretty smart. Ultimately, what am I doing? I'm trying to tell God how to do his job. How do you think that's going to work out? Probably not so well. You know, this, and we get angry with God because he doesn't listen to us. But I prayed about it, God. How come you're not doing what I want? The, the Bible says if I ask, you're going to give me. But in, in, when Jesus talks about it, he implies what, what James is actually says, comes out and says, you got to do it for the right reasons. You got to have the right motive. And so often we don't have the right motive. You know, there, there have been church splits all about the fact that basically the problem is they're frustrated with God and they take it out on the other members. Uh, uh, many a church or a family problem could be solved 
if a person would only look at their own hearts and see that the battle that's raging within it and try to conquer that battle before they try to conquer the issue with their, with their family or the church. By the way, have you ever felt that maybe, you know, your human anger is, is going to help accomplish the righteousness of God? Do you think that that works? Does human anger comp accomplish righteousness of God? I think not. I think not. I think you're right, Rick. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm good at being really wrong. I think we all have that tendency at times. You know, what's it say here? For a man's in James chapter one, verse twenty, for a man's anger does not bring about righteous life that God desires. Huh. Well, often I get angry for all the wrong reasons, and I think that I'm going to be right. I'm going to accomplish God's righteousness by by my anger. And, and God says and that doesn't happen. If we have the right kind of faith, and it's active, it's going to bring discipleship. It's going to help their students, disciples that we work with. If we allow sin of envy to have its way, it's going to cause fighting. It's going to it's, even though we mask it with all kinds of superficial talk, you ever notice that some of the people that are the angriest people have the, the best spiritual words that they use to cloak their anger? So G, uh, James is going to use the, 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 this whole aspect. He's talking about warfare here, about fights, if you will, uh, and about the destruct, destructive relationships that create uh, where violent attitudes are, are broken out and are unchecked. And one writer puts it this way, it's kind of interesting. Just as a lack of mercy was evidence of his addressee's sin of favoritism, now their active hostility towards the other is used as evidence of their conflict with God. Interesting. Before, it was it, we were showing favoritism to the rich versus the poor. Now we're showing active hostility toward someone else and and it's really the result of that is the fact that we're in conflict with god wow james goes on to identify the source of conflict one one of the uh translations uses the word cravings um it, it implies physical feelings associated with bodily appetites if you will it's the sense of the inherent evil of desire, but rather, uh, it's not just the sense of the inherent evil of desire, but rather the conflict of desires that cannot be satisfied simultaneously without one canceling out the other. The issue here, the craving, is what craving is more important? What one takes you know, precedence? It's like the old story of the Indian who was asked, uh, it describes, he says, describe your, he describes his war of the old nature and the new nature he describes it as two dogs at, at they're fighting each other and the question is well which dog wins this is the one that i feed wow so does that mean that i have to be careful about what my desires are yeah <laughs> conflict can be both internally as well as externally And God says that uh, the beginnings of this conflict starts not from outside, but within you. 
and it's both a, a I think within you is a plural in, in its pronoun sense and it's referring to all of us. When I get upset with someone, sometimes and often it's the result of my internal conflict. I'm not getting the recognition I think I should or I'm not, they're not handling it the way I think they should and so I'm going to correct them. The demonic, you know, it, when, uh, never said, it was never said to be the cause of strife and evil thinking, but rather James uncovers the demonic character of human willfulness when it's not willfully submitted to the word of God. The problem is too often I allow my willfulness to be controlled by demonic influences. <coughs> now, how do you deal with that? How do you deal with it when you have a con when you have an internal conflict? How do you get rid of it? Let's see, we got real far today. Get rid of it by honestly confessing the sin that you have and dealing with the situation correctly. It means that I need to confront myself of when I do things that are wrong. I need to deal with it myself. God tells us we need to take account of ourselves to judge ourselves because if we don't, God's going to take care of it for us. I don't know about you, but it's one thing I'd just soon bypass. I'd just soon deal with it myself if I could, if I can remember to. Now, do, do I have to deal with this just once and it's done? No. Can I, can I, you know, what, whatever struggle I'm dealing with, I can just, I can kill it once and it's done. Is that, is that how it works? Depends on the item. Okay. So some things can be dealt with once and, and you get over it. But sometimes, sometimes it's a daily thing, isn't it? We, we struggle with an addiction, whatever the addiction might be. And, and we win sometimes and we lose sometimes. But what do we do? We should, what, what should we do when we stumble, when we, when we fall back into sin? What do we do? Just say, ask oh, well. No, for, pray, ask. pray for God's strength. Forgiveness. Yeah. Ask for forgiveness, thing George is starting to say. Yep. Yeah, and, and then ask for God's strength because can I do it on my own? I'll just let you know, I've tried. And I might get by for an hour or two, maybe even a day, if I'm really, really lucky. But I'm going to tell you something. I can't do it in my own strength. I inevitably always fail when I do it myself. How do we do it? How do we win? How do we overcome through the power of the cross, through the power of Christ, through the power of the Holy Spirit indwelling in us? When we do that, we're going to find that we're going to get more, we're going to have more victories in our battles. My problem is, I was, hey, God, I got this. Don't worry about it. I'll take care of this one. Well, they say iron sharpen, sharpens iron. Um, yeah. And the, and the counsel of many, that's much wisdom. So the question is, how we take, quote unquote, correction or rebuke or something like that. Yeah, what happened? What is, what, you, know, you just talked about two passages out of Proverbs. There's another one that I was thinking of after you mentioned this. Mm -hmm. What's yeah. it about the the wounds of a faithful friend? Yep. <laughs> yeah. I don't know the rest. Sorry. 
It's better than the enemy. Yeah, better than yeah, yeah. Right. Yeah, we have a hard time dealing with you know. With a lot of it, a lot of it is this: Do we come at it with the right attitudes? Galatians, I think, chapter five, talks about that. That if we're going to go correct to somebody, then you make sure that we do it with the right attitude and that we ourselves are doing it for the right motives. And we do it, do it about the, go about it the same way. We do it in humility. Versus, hey, look at me, I got it right, you moron. I can't understand why you didn't get it right. So as we do this, let's as we go through this, we're gonna, we got basically we got through one verse, maybe maybe a more, a little bit of two maybe. We'll come back. We'll finish it up next week. Everyone. But I think that's a challenge that I that again, you know why I hate James because it points out all of my failures. And it points out all the things that I need to be working on. And it also points out the only way I'm going to do this is through the power of the Spirit. You know, you wonder sometimes if you could see your life in two avenues, what would be different? Let's say you are at this particular place in your life now. You've got Christ that's helped you attain this, what it's like. If you could have seen what the other side would be like, if you're at the same place, with how and what that was like. We don't see that. In other words, our assumption is we should assume that everything that's happened or in our lives at this particular point is for the best for us. Yeah. Yeah. That and we and we don't and we don't do that. In other words, you're right, man. Well oh. preach it, George. I'll no, turn I'm your just, pages. No, I'm just saying. I mean I, you know, no, I, I'm with you. Because the problem is that we we struggle with what we struggle with the fact that we just don't trust God that He has our best interest in heart, and that's exactly what He's He's tempted to do it for our lives from the time you gave your heart to Him until yeah. now. Well, you you got that so right. Are you, are you you know because He's looking for faith? I, I think that if you come if you got to the point where your faith was complete, you'd be Enoch. You'd be gone. You lied. I'm just saying. That's what you, I wouldn't mind taking that that uh, chariot. That chariot ride looks like it'd be fun. But that's basically what it said. It says Enoch's faith. It wasn't anything he did. It wasn't anything about it. it says his faith is what allowed him to get beyond that. You know. You are boy. That's that's good, man. That's good. You know, Noah reacts basically not out of you know. It says God was warned Noah, but it basically wasn't fear of God. It was God warned him of what was to come. Yeah. He accepted it. Well, if we just listened to God, we'd be in a little better space. Huh? And I think that sometimes, too, that's where the issue comes is that he wants us to deal with it personally, and he will deal with us personally. If not, he will find somebody that eventually will come and tell us. Like Nathan came to David. Yeah. You know, And we're not so excited about that coming. Hey, you know what, Val? You need, or George, you need help. Hey, who? Well, now who do you uh, think I, you are talking to me? Don't you know who I am? Yeah, but my point is, is that no, it, it was, yeah, yeah. Go for it. I, more than likely, before I got to that point, there was somebody that was trying to, God was trying to talk, trying to talk to me personally, where I wouldn't have to come to you, or, or it came out of you, right? 
Yeah, yeah. I think I think we again. It all comes back to often. I, I've described it so many times that I miss the still small voice of God. I, I miss the gentle nudge. I miss the shove. And it isn't until I get the two by four that I go, "Oh, am I supposed to do that?" What do you do you think our perspective would be modified if we did everything for love? Yeah. Yeah, and, and love of others versus love of ourselves, putting others in front of us. Yeah, that, that thing that God gives us, love, you know, that's that emotion that he likes. Yeah. Everything else, pride and all the other things can go to the wayside if you do it from love. But I think the, the, the important thing to realize is love is love from God's perspective is not an emotion. It's a choice. Choice. That's yeah. the big it's thing. Like, it says to love God with all your heart. It just says you need to choose that. And I'm sure that people, whole aspect of agape right, love, mm-hmm. it's, a, it's a choice to move in that direction. Yeah, because you, because your your emotions can be fickle. I mean, some days I feel saved. I feel like today's and I'm going away. And other days I feel like I'm on my way back on the other side, eight mile. You know, we just. <laughs> mm-hmm. Well, it, it, you know, we we're talking about the conflicts in church and war and stuff like that. And I think if you put if you just, you know, throw love into that equation, what happens? It becomes. Uh, no conflict. Right? Yeah, the issue is the issue is that often only one, maybe only one side even does that. And our problem is if if we all entered into this, whatever this discussion is, knowing that we love God and we love, and we're supposed to love each other and be in unity, we might find that even in the midst of discord, that we can come to an agreement. Yeah, I heard some horrible statistics. Uh, yeah, this last Sunday it says. The generation was called the greatest generation. 65% of them had faith. In my generation, it was 35. And the group right after me, it's 16%. And the group after them is now 4%. What was interesting, they said, the people running the country now are the group of the 35%. What will they be like if in the time to come if that 4% can't find Christ and they're running the country? Oh, yeah. Well, I, I'm, I'm thinking uh, even uh, the, the passage out of Scripture that says, even now, Lord Jesus, come quickly. Amen. That would be a, would be a great boon. I'd, I'd sure like to see it happen with uh, Take Care of Keith. Um, I'd sure like to see us. Uh, yeah, I got some people I'd love to see come to the Lord, come to the Lord before that. But, um, boy, we need to be concerned about that ourselves, huh? Well, we've come to the end of our discussion.